0: Joining us on our first World of Speakers podcast, we had Andreas Baneth, the founder of Speaker Hub, the power behind the World of Speakers. And we had a great conversation touching on what we will touch on every single World of Speakers podcast. We were gonna meet them and we found out how Andreas got involved in public speaking and why it's so integrated in what he does every day. Secondly, we talk about tips for public speaking. And Andreas gave us the structure tips and how to better connect with your audience by means of an important message. And finally, he talked about the three different types of ways that you get paid as a public speaker. And then we got a little bit into the concept of how it's not always about speaking for money. Sometimes speaking for free will launch opportunities that land you money. Join us as we meet Andreas, we hear his story, his tips, and his tricks. We will see you on this as well as future podcasts here at The World of Speakers. My name is Ryan Folland, and we'll be talking with you soon. Welcome, the world of listeners, here to The World of Speakers, the podcast that helps you understand what it takes to be a world-class speaker. Today is exciting because it is our first our inaugural, the number one episode of starting this podcast. And why not bring one of the original
1: people who helped bring this to life, Mr. Andras Banas. Are you there, sir? Absolutely. I'm here. and very excited to pick off the podcast. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be on it as a guest and you being the host. It's really, really exciting. Hopefully a long journey that starts with a single, simple step.
0: Right here. We're taking that step. Well, for those that don't know about you and don't know about Speaker Hub, why don't you give a little quick high-level intro of what you're up to and how you are involved in the world of speakers community?
1: Well, Speaker Hub was founded by basically me and helped by a lot of midwives and a lot of helpers around. (laughs) Esther, who is assisting with a lot of the content creation. We've got Raquel, who's an amazing help to make the podcast and other content happen. And then we've got a couple other folks, uh, Steve and others, who are helping with the website, with the development. But in a nutshell, what Speaker Hub is, it's a project I started. It's a startup I launched a year and a half ago, a little less than that to connect speakers with audiences. I wanted to make sure that speakers have a way to showcase their speaker persona, even if uh, their day job is something different, because they are experts and professors and lawyers and consultants. But showcasing who they are as speakers would be happening on Speaker Hub. On the other side of the equation, I would have the organizers event planners, event managers, conference organizers of all kinds who are looking for speakers and they need to make sure that the person that they would invite is not only knowledgeable about what they speak about, but they are also great speakers. And to do that, I wanted to create a very dedicated connection or a platform where they can communicate because LinkedIn and YouTube and all the other platforms are great in and by themselves, but they're not tailor-made For speakers and organizers. So that's the idea in a nutshell. And we've been on this road for quite some time. And Ryan, you yourself, you've been instrumental to Speaker Hub's growth because now we're global. We've got, we're nearing 3000 speakers from all over the world and several hundred organizers who have come on the website and are using the website to source speakers for their events.
0: Very cool. So it's kind of like, would you, would you describe it almost as like a farmer's market for speakers? Yes,
1: sometimes uh, people say that this is the IMDb of speakers, okay, or the yeah. of speakers. Call it what you make. Okay, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. You know, everybody's got their own little virtual
0: booth, and they're sort of slanging their products or what their expertise is, and they're out speaking. And for me, that's what's so exciting about this platform you've created is it's a gathering spot for all levels of speakers. Supporting them in connecting with people because I believe the best way to become a better speaker is to speak more. And that's what we're going to address here on this podcast as a going theme. We're basically going to be talking about two main topics for each of these interviews. One is going to be your tips and tricks on what you found helps you and has helped you and you help other people with becoming a better public speaker. Then we also want to talk about the business of speaking and find out how you've been successful making money with it, some of the great tips that you found from other people, because that's really the two key components that a professional speaker needs. It's always something that you need to be increasing your skills on and finding how to get out there, get more exposure, and ultimately getting paid to talk about your expertise is where the rubber meets the road. Now, you, sir, you are a speaker and you speak all over the place. Tell us a little bit about your story. How did you discover public speaking as part of sort of your now daily routine? I mean, it inspired you to create this great hub for speakers. But you personally,
1: how did speaking start with you? Well, thanks a lot for asking, because I never truly reflected on when I got started. I think it's one of those things when you do a bit and you don't realize that you're speaking and then you do more and more. And at one point you say, damn, this, everything I do seems to be what others describe as a public speaker. And <laughs> this is the path I've taken. And in, in all honesty, I don't think I'm there yet. So I don't, I wouldn't consider myself on the same level as one of the, one of the many even famous or, or semi-famous public speakers. I'm certainly not there yet, but I have given hundreds of. Literally hundreds and hundreds of presentations, workshops, speeches, and everything in between. And the path to that, I think it began when I started doing some university lectures and seminars and workshops at uh, my college and then even afterwards. But the real business of speaking started coming in when I launched workshops. So when I was uh, doing very specific trainings, where it was a well-defined objective that the participants had to reach and the agenda was set. So it wasn't the typical keynote or after dinner speech that got me really on the, on this track, much more the workshop side. And, and in that frame, I've, I've done workshops in Latin America, in the US, in Europe, in different parts of the world. So again, I don't know how typical that is, but. For Generally, what I find is for these well-defined trainings, there is a lot of budget with most companies that they're willing to spend. Whereas for, let's say, conference speeches, that's a slightly different angle. And of course, I'm still learning and I'm trying to understand this market. And the fact that I'm based in Europe changes my perspective because it's very different over here That the way you guys are looking at it over there in the U.S. And perhaps you, Ryan, you could share a few ideas with with me and with the listeners, how you see the public speaking world, and especially the paid public speaking world, from a U.S. perspective.
0: Sure. I want to go back to one of the first comments you made about trying to identify the point at which you, quote unquote, became a public speaker. And I think that's an interesting topic, something I talk about a lot. And I'll ask people straight up, are you a public speaker? And in an audience, no matter what the size, you have some people who confidently raise their hands, some people who halfway raise their hands. And most people sort of stare blankly and don't identify themselves as a public speaker. So from a core definitional standpoint, you know, each person has to internally take that measurement. But for you, it sounds like it came almost organic in what you were doing, speaking more, not like you sought out to be it. And you mentioned that you're still learning, which I think is great. but what are, your, what are the baseline components that you think somebody needs to be considered or for them to consider themselves a public speaker? I think,
1: you know, here's the interesting thing. The other day or a couple of weeks ago, I did my first TEDx talk and it gave me so much and it, and it taught me so much and changed my perspective on public speaking. Here's what I mean. Before that, My mantra was that the delivery, the presentation, your voice, your intonation, your body language, and the way you move around on stage, these are extremely important and perhaps even more important than the content. But as I was preparing for my TEDx, I kind of realized that the content is king. Content rules over everything else. You can have the best delivery in the world with poor content. It's just not going to stick in people's minds. Whereas even at that very TEDx where I was speaking, there were a couple of speakers who were very far from what you call a public speaker. There, there were not comfortable on stage, but the content was so powerful and they were so, they came across so honest and vulnerable on stage that it really got everyone swayed. So that changed my perspective. and, And in that sense, content is the number one thing that any public speaker has has to do. Once you master your content, and it's so insanely valuable that the audience just wants to hear more of it, and it's practical, and it's emotional, and it's got amazing insights, and it takes the imagination further, and it's got this very good mix of facts and emotions and inspiration. And once you've got that, obviously, you can make it insanely good when you master the onstage presence, the voice and everything else. So my conclusion from that experience was, focus on the content, make sure that you give so much value to the audience and then you can put the icing on the cake and that's your presentation.
0: So if I'm hearing you correctly, to be a, a baseline component or a baseline status point for being able to be considered a public speaker, you've got to have something to say that's worthwhile. It's an idea that's worth spreading, essentially kind of inspired by your recent TEDx talk and the fact that you have individuals of different quote-unquote speaking levels, but the one thing that really stood out was their message or what they're actually sharing, correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. And I used to think that most people, especially in the U.S., since you guys do so much public speaking because the way your education system is so most people would be amazing to listen to and they are if you stop at a point of listening to but how much value you get that's where a lot of speakers fall flat because they think that just because they're able to formulate the words and they can package it nicely with their body language and everything else but the content might be mediocre at best so that's exactly what I'm saying, that the content has to be insanely good. And by insanely good, I mean, it has to be certainly practical and, and have those elements of inspiration and everything else. But it has a lot to do, I think, with, with things like storytelling, things like proportions. A lot of speakers don't get the proportions right of how much intro, how much, let's say, what is the word I'm looking for? Main not body intro, or the main content? Main body, exactly. Yeah. So the main body, the intro, the, the, the key takeaways, all of this has to be there, but it has to be in the right proportion. And that also takes takes a lot of effort and it's in more, enormously important for a speaker to get that right. And then we're not talking about a speaker anymore. We're talking about a scriptwriter. We're talking about a content creator. We're talking about a storyteller. And then the speaking part, only comes after that. It's the
0: next step. I dig it. So you want to know what my baseline requirement is for people to consider themselves public speakers? That they speak in public? (laughs) Yes, that they open their mouth and speak in public. And, And I really, really try to hit this home with all of my audiences because I think that everything starts with thoughts and thoughts become words and words become things. So think good thoughts. And one of the best things you can do as a public speaker, somebody who wants to speak more in public, is to identify yourself as a public speaker. You don't realize it, but when you are speaking in public, it might be with an individual who's a friend. It might be with somebody you're asking directions for. It might be with a professor. It might be ordering your food. All of these things have dynamic components of communication. And in fact, it is almost impossible to not communicate. So much of what we say is in our eyes and in, in the way that we move our hands and our positioning of our bodies. And so I think that if anyone is speaking in public, <laughs> which is everyone, I think that's a baseline calculation for you are a public speaker. And once you own that, then it opens up so much of the world because you'll maybe take on more opportunities. You maybe won't be as scared. Uh, and there's a number of doors that will open by just acknowledging that you are a public speaker. And I think it's, it's empowering because communication in my eyes is the skeleton key. It is the one thing that you have the most control over to get what you want in any situation. And a lot of times when what you want is to share an idea or to communicate some awesome content that you've come up with, speaking is a platform, but that same speaking can be on a podcast. It can be on a radio. It can be on TV. So there's, there's my bottom line. If you are listening to this and you've opened your mouth in public, you are a public speaker. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> That's excellent. And I, I think you're raising a very important point where certainly anyone who speaks in public would fit that description and the, and the idea of being a public speaker. What the point that I, I like very much that you just mentioned is that there needs to be perhaps some sort of an awareness of what is the genre, what is the type of speech we're giving. And it's often very difficult for speakers, especially those who have less experience, to correctly understand the audience that they need to address. By that I mean, what is the audience truly looking for? Is it a corporate audience and they are looking for an update of the latest accounting rules, because Congress has passed a new piece of legislation. It's right. very different from you coming in and talking to a faith-based group or a church or any, any other uh, group of, of that kind where you essentially come in and you give a motivational, inspirational speech. These are very, very different type of speeches. And some people are really good at one, but are fairly poor at the other than the other way around. So The very first step is understanding that, fine, I'm going to be speaking in public, hooray. What is the audience expecting of me, the one I'm going to address?
0: Right. And just as much, the age of your audience and the location of your audience. I mean, I had a recent experience speaking to about 150 middle schoolers, and it kind of threw me for a loop because they weren't responding to some of the jargon and some of the stories that I normally get an illicit response from of people who are a little bit older. I think it was the hardest audience ever. <laughs> yeah, because kids are just, they just stare at you, just, just looking at a bunch of blank stares and it really threw me off. But for me, that's what's so exciting about speaking and communication. And you alluded to this as well is that you're still learning, you're always learning. And I think that in order to go from good to great is a constant and path that will always be there if you're trying to speak. I don't think it's ever. I am the best speaker. It's that I'm always getting better. And I keep going back to the fact that the only way to become a better speaker is to speak more. And that's why I'm so excited about this podcast is sharing with people some of those tactics of how to become a more effective speaker. But then on the flip side, finding ways to have more opportunities at that. Because the more times you have on stage in front of audiences, the better you'll become. And the better you become, the higher chance it is that someone will pay for your time or you will have so many people that are trying to have you speak that you will then be able to charge a premium and it's all a progress. So let's jump into the part where we get your nuggets of speaking tips. Now, you've touched on a couple of them, but we can stick with the theme of knowing your audience and, you know, particularly about the message that you're going to share. But if you had your top two to three tips, either things that you share with people or that you've received from influential speakers, what are tangible action items that people can take today, tomorrow or the next day to improve their speaking skills? And once we go through those, we're going to jump into some of the tricks and tips that you have of sharing with us how you get people to reach into their wallets, scratch you a check, swipe a card, or give you money to share your information. So what are your big groundbreaking tips that literally will make my computer and everything sort of reverberate like there's a crazy
1: earthquake of, of truth bombing? <laughs> there you go. Fasten your seatbelts. Well, I wish I had those magic, magic tricks, but I'll give you some random ideas. And part of the, the objectives or one of the objectives of this podcast is to have lots of folks with tons of experience share other insights and a couple of things will probably be repeating, which is a good thing because that means others uh, think alike and others will be very unique to some of the speakers. So in no particular order, perhaps the first one is uh, focusing on structure. When I prepare for a presentation or a speech, what I spend Probably the most time on, or at least the most cognitive effort on, call that thinking, is creating a structure. So the way I construct a speech is usually I have all sorts of random ideas that I throw into Evernote or Wunderlist or whatever app you might be using. But you basically jot down these 10, 12, 20 random ideas that you probably want to build into the speech. That's relatively the easy part. Because you've got ideas, your brain is hyper, and you get those things out on a paper. But the difficult part is organizing this into a structure where it becomes a narrative, where you can really go from sort of the scene setting all the way to outlining the problem and then proposing solutions and the way forward.
0: So you put all your ideas down first, sort of in a a random, these are the points that I want to do, and then you sort of move and structure them at that point. What is the actual process behind that? Because I think structure
1: is huge, but how, how does somebody go about those actual steps? Right. So to be very practical, for me, what works best is what I know I need to give a speech and I don't need to rush. Because if you need to rush that you want to prepare just the day before, that's just not going to work out well. So if you have sufficient time, then open a notepad or any sort of app. And when you're just lining up in a in a store, you're sending in a queue or in your line to be US US English. Well, when you're just waiting at the red light with your car, whenever it hits you, just jot down whatever bits or whatever idea nugget you have. So this way you manage to collect a couple of things over the course of a week or two weeks. So you have those random things, but they're all collected in a safe repository. And when you decide, okay, now I have enough, I need to sit down, I need to focus, I need to discipline myself to put that into some meaningful way. And that's when I start putting down the structure. And that can obviously happen in the very same application, whatever it may be. Or if you are more into mind maps, that might be an easier or better way to do it. I love the concept of mind maps, but in all honesty, I haven't yet done speeches using mind maps, but probably I should because it's a great tool. Now, once I have that laid out, everything comes after because that's when I look at for trying to put down, probably number it or use bullets and have one or two words which reflect the key concept for each of those elements. So I wouldn't write long paragraphs or anything else, but just a key concept. What's the real meaning there? What's the substance there that I want the audience to remember in that this particular item? And once I have those lined up, that's when I start writing just a couple of, uh, let's say, Telegram style keywords or a couple of ideas, what I want to discuss in that particular box, in that particular element. So you see that it it all comes from keywords into structure and then you expand, but not the other way around. It's not that you would start writing a long text that just runs on and lacks a logical, lacks a narrative. So once I have that, structure becomes the backbone of the entire presentation. And not only that, but since I have those key concepts for each one of those building blocks, I can look for slides and I can create visuals for that because it's much easier for me to find something because I know what the abstract concept is that I want to convey instead of focusing on something that's too specific, which is very hard to turn into any visual. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. No, it does. It does. So you're talking about
0: first keywords, scattering them around, then trying to find the structure and the core message that you want to outline. And then expand that into an outline and take that outline to help guide you from uh, collecting images that would go along with it, as well as more of a built out program based on what you have. So it's a very linear approach to presentation writing or speech writing, starting with the ideas that you have, structuring them and expanding them in that order.
1: Yeah. And the funny thing is, I'm, I love Evernote. And whenever I come across a funny tweet, an image, or just uh something that, that sparks my interest, I would save that into a dedicated folder or a notebook. And sometimes I'm facing a situation where I say, damn, I got this super funny or really insightful image here. Where can I build that into? Where can I put that? <laughs> and that's a little bit reversing this very thoughtful, nicely laid out process where I say, well, you know, I got all my thinking and the structure and everything else. And then I look for examples. But having such a nugget, sometimes I say, okay, I got to build it in somewhere. Where am I going to do that? So that a little bit messes up the process. And I guess a lot of speakers have that where they've got a great story or something that they live through and they they really want to make that an important part in their speech. And I think that's okay as long as it you know, you're not stretching the limits, as long as there's a clear narrative and a clear message that you want to pass.
0: Right. And I don't think that messes up your structure because you still have the keywords, the structure of which you can then expand, but it it almost seems like a separate concept of a tool chest or a a treasure box or even a, a can of polish that's sitting there to where you are creating this repertoire of specific examples or tweets or insights or things that you just come up with or that you're exposed to. And having that as your own little searchable database to then incorporate while you're expanding what you're doing, correct.
1: And uh, yeah, maybe I could I would move on to to another idea. And it's not so much a very specific technique I use, but it it helps me learn to be a better speaker. And that's basically examining and analyzing speakers that I have a great respect for. So if I see well, and TEDx talks are obviously the gold standard. And when you see a speech, you say, okay, let's take a step back. And perhaps I have someone with me, a friend of mine, or anyone that is just as interested in public speaking as I am. And we would discuss and try to reverse engineer and say, okay, which, what made this so powerful? What worked so well? And you can dissect it because you're looking at a speech, not just as a consumer of it, not just as as someone who is immersed in understanding and absorbing it, but you're taking a step back and you're looking at it as an analyst or as an expert and you're trying to identify the building blocks which are invisible to the untrained eye. So you're looking at it and say, okay, well, the fact that this guy put his hand in his pocket on stage made him look so comfortable on stage. That's something I could copy. Why don't I do that? But if you do that too much, well, that's gonna, be, that's gonna backfire. Hmm, that's great. One great element. I said, okay, I'm going to do that. Another one, perhaps about the content of the speech and say, well, how nicely a speaker has managed to blend storytelling with a very deep message and how she did that on stage. Well, that's a fascinating technique. I'm going to try to learn that.
0: So do you, do you sit in front with a pen and paper or just kind of a computer notes and you're actually sort of breaking it down? Uh, I how, wish I
1: was so methodical, but <laughs> unfortunately, I'm not. And uh, I, I may have given that that impression, but but definitely not. definitely no, I totally not. imagined you like yeah. putting
0: on a lab coat, putting protective glasses on, you know, getting getting behind the screen, like creating this whole event. And then like almost <laughs> I almost envisioned you watching it slow motion to dig down like you're. You're finding these invisible blocks.
1: Absolutely. And I go, go with a one-way mirror. And then I, <laughs> then, I, then I analyze it and write a police report or something.
0: Yeah. And then you have a focus group who's watching you react to it. And then you get this sort of crazy meta third-party analog that you can blend them all together, graph them, and find the through line. Absolutely. You you got me. <laughs> One thing, actually, that reminds me that I believe is a useful tip when evaluating other speakers is actually to graph it and you can come up with a number of different variants between the graph, but a very simple one is if the you're looking at sort of the energy level over time. So Mm -hmm. you've got the X axis is time. If it's a 15 minute speech, you literally can block out the 15 dashes or three, five spot dashes. And on the vertical axis, you can have like low energy to high energy and that's one of many things that you can track on a graphical basis like did they come out just full of energy and then up high and then they dropped it and they got real somber and then there was a build-up and there was a plateau so things like that where it's energy or body language or tonal inflection sometimes i'll physically graph them out even if i'm evaluating or watching a speech that i'm preparing because when you see it in relation over time it, it can help You know, identify what is successful and not because nobody wants a, a tone deaf, no, no change in energy. It's, it's about sort of that, that flow and that vibe. So I like this. So your two main tips is in creating the structure, one being using keywords first in no particular order of what you want to get out there, then physically cutting the paper and rearranging them or whiteboarding it with a reorganization but putting it into something that's going to get across what you want to communicate. And then from there, you expand. Granted that you have a treasure chest of tweets and concepts and jokes and insights and graphs and statistics that you are seeing on a constant basis that you now can pluck from and put into your structure accordingly. And then in order for you to improve sort of your holistic approach to speeches, you're taking speakers that you admire. You're watching them. You're taking notes in a lab coat, and you're trying to figure out the mechanics of actually what's happening. Pockets in, uh, hands in pockets, hands out of pockets. Storytelling, all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: you know, it's uh, the interesting thing is as I think about it, because honestly, I don't think I've given such a specific thought to to my own thought process. Okay, but when I think about this. Again, talking about the TED presentations and another a couple of keynotes I've seen and 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 heard. It's interesting how each speaker takes a different approach. My personal favorite, and again, this is not to say that this is how it should be done. It's just for me, what works best is when a speaker has a conversation with the audience. I think it's awfully hard to stand there on the stage and and feel and be so casual that every member of the audience would feel that the speaker is talking to them on one on one. Right. That must be very different. Other speakers, what, what doesn't work for me so much. And again, I might be guilty of that because I'm certainly not at that level to really preach what I or do, do what I preach. But what doesn't work for me so much is when a speaker really gives a speech where the audience feels, okay, this is a rehearsed and well practiced and very consciously presented speech. For me, that feels a little, not very genuine, a little artificial. And because of that, I think the speaker loses a lot of maybe credibility or just simply the impact is diminished a bit. There's just not as
0: much connection, right? I mean, people, people in the audience want to feel connected. And I think there's a big discrepancy where you might think that it's all about posture and tone of voice and I'm going to look to the left to the middle and to the right and I'm going to stand up tall and I'm going to project and some of, some of those mechanics actually get in the way of
1: delivering your message. Exactly. What I I think I got the word that I was looking for, theatrical. When it becomes too theatrical, to me that's too artificial. So something that works perfectly well in a Shakespeare drama that the actor is truly presenting the important literary piece that has its own place. But when it comes to a speech of this kind, a real, a public speech, commencement speech or any other kind, I think it has to be more natural and you need to work very hard so that the audience will feel that you're natural. Yeah. It's one of the most difficult things in life is to break down
0: components to their simple and the basic nature. And in the same respect, one of the most difficult things while giving a speech or talking is to make it feel like it's that one-on-one conversation, something that's private and that you're not sort of taken out of that element or disconnected and, you know, jump to your phone and check Twitter and see what else is going on. And, you know, there's so much importance in that connection when it's in live interaction.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And the same thing goes for workshops and training courses where in some sense it's much harder because you need to maintain the attention of your audience and very often when when you spend 4 hours with them that's difficult there it's a whole new ball game of how you interact with a group of participants in an interactive workshop what kind of techniques do you use to engage them to make it lively and you Ryan do a lot of workshops uh, I'm, I'm I'm well aware of that so yeah. you certainly have ideas there but Probably that's uh, beyond today's conversation, but something that might be worth exploring where a four-hour or full-day workshop, what sort of techniques can you use to be a valuable trainer or instructor? Yeah, I'm full of ideas when it comes to that. It is challenging, but that's what
0: makes it so exciting. I just last week gave a four-and-a-half-hour presentation at Camp Pendleton to a bunch of Marines, and these are individuals that, that maybe are... Uh, They're not used to, you know, the type of dynamic presentation that we brought, and I think we took them by surprise. (laughs) It was a little bit of an ambush on our part, and really got them active and involved. Ambushing Marines—that's quite something. We we made them do things that uh, were meta and thought provoking, and breathing exercises and little group workshops that got them into an uncomfortable zone, and that really woke them up. But there are tons of strategies for getting people engaged. I think that your point. Is that you want to make it feel like there is a connection, a truly a connection based on an important message that you're obviously passionate about sharing, but not so much that you're creating a theatrical production and alienating your audience. Yeah, that's correct. Well, I'm going to
1: say
0: that the better you are at these tactics, the more chances you have of getting paid. So we've got some great insights for you as far as structure and connecting with the audience to improve your skills. But let's flip gears to how we can help to monetize the message that we're sharing and find different opportunities to get more at-bats. Now, we all understand or we should understand that speaking for money is a process. And sometimes it takes a while to become established as someone who is paid. And there is a bit of back and forth, sometimes a takeaway, a lot of negotiations. I'm sure that two people with different approaches to a similar conference or commencement or speech can end up with wildly different results from speaking for free to speaking for a a large honorarium. So in your experience, thinking to some of the gigs that you've had, which have been paid, maybe you can share some insights as to what you think was the difference between getting paid or not, or uh, some steps that are
1: unpaid measures to set yourself up for success. This is probably the number one question that every budding public speaker is interested in. My experience in this area is that you you indeed have to speak a lot before you can expect to be paid for what I'm thinking about this is, when is a client going to pay for your speech? Essentially, there are perhaps three main reasons why they would be willing. The first one is that you are a household name. And that's obviously not going to happen for any public speaker who is very very much at the beginning of their career. This goes to the Tony Robbins. This goes to... um their gills. And this goes to all the, the people who have been featured and shown on TV and uh, they've been all over. So their name is an attraction enough to bring in audiences. So it's definitely worth for the conference organizer to bring in that sort of person because that's going to mean more ticket sales. It's really an
0: investment. You're saying if you have
1: a household name to where
0: you can draw your own audience to an event... That would make logical sense for an event to allocate certain money for that. It's still a win-win
1: for both parties. Absolutely. But again, that's probably not going to be the scenario that helps us, most of us. I think the second one would be you have such a unique experience in a sector or industry or just a personal history. That is an interesting draw that they would be willing to pay for. So for instance, uh, I think it was about 2 years ago I attended a corporate event where they had a dinner speaker and the guy they, was invited I had never heard his name before but he has circumvented the circumvented Greenland on foot with a sleigh you know, that's interesting. That's, that's not something a lot of people do. <laughs> maybe, maybe others have done it since, or there are some, uh, very, very some copycats uh, you know, out there, right? Yeah, yeah. Out there. exactly. But, you know, that's a kind of personal achievement or kind of, um, interesting background that not a lot of people have. So it was unique enough to invite this guy, but you can also talk about, let's say a person who has, has assisted the merger of uh, Time Warner and AOL. Probably that's not a good example because it was kind of a failure (laughs) as far as I understand. But for instance, that sort of experience is very unique. And the person who had a role in that would be an interesting speaker because it's not their name, but the very specific activity that they did would be the draw. And of course, for that to happen, they, a company or, or, or an event planner would be willing to spend money on. So that's probably number two. So if anyone has such experience or you can repackage an existing experience of that kind, that could work. And I think the number three is what most people would be in is just simply you have such a valuable knowledge because you've read so much, you've experienced so much, you've, you've self trained and because whatever you've done in your professional life has given you so much knowledge that you managed to convey that And the client would find it very valuable. And that's, for instance, as far as I understand, that's your experience with the Marines, that you've been doing similar workshops and teaching and training and speaking and all of that. And someone's heard you at a conference or senior your TEDx or wherever they came across your work. They said, oh, this guy knows a lot. I don't necessarily know his name. I don't think his experience is so unique that I would invite him for that. But what he's saying is super valuable. So I'm going to bring him in and I'm going to pay him money because I want my team to hear that. Right. Okay. So that's it. Those are your top three. Basically the
0: things that are going to get you in the door to get paid one, having a household name. So either, you know, at the, the peak of your career or you become an internet sensation or you've just grinded for 10, 15, 20 years to where you are holding international workshops and, Your name brings in an audience. Number two, experiences that are so unique, people want to hear that experience like basically going around an entire country on foot or with a dog sled or doing some extreme thing that could be a Guinness Book of World Record gives you almost some sort of celebrity status that you can leverage from an experiential standpoint. And then knowledge or expertise. And that sounds almost like the first one but just without the name brand, having a unique niche in a certain topic that people can can do. Well, one thing that I'm curious about is your insight or your knowledge of the different types of events that typically pay. Because some events, from my understanding, there just is no budget, and they are set up on having people speak for free. They, they might even have certain status associated with their event so that you want to speak at their event just for getting the acknowledgement of speaking there, even though everybody knows it's for free. One example would be the social media marketing world by the Social Media Examiner. They have 140 experts that come from all over the world, but they beat their chest and say, none of our speakers are paid speakers. And that's essentially a big part. Like You still want to speak there, but you're not paid. So To sort of demystify the fact that you can't always get paid at every event, what are your thoughts of the types of events that you see the highest probability of them having a budget or being able to maybe pay for you to come at their event?
1: Look, my approach, and again, with the caveat that I'm European and I have a better understanding of what's happening on this side of the Atlantic as opposed to the U.S. market. And you'll have lots of guests in this podcast who, who are much more familiar with the U.S. market, so that's slightly different. But to answer your question, I think that speaking, at least for me and many people that I've uh, spoken to, this speaking is the hub that connects the many other activities that they do. So the speaking would be for personal branding. It would be for thought leadership. It would be for visibility. It would be for getting new leads. It would be for connecting with event planners and audiences. So it does a lot of things and you might go much further in terms of monetizing your activity. If you don't charge for your speech per se, because maybe you get 500 bucks, maybe you get a thousand. Maybe you get a little more, the more experienced you are, but that in and by itself is certainly not enough to make a living. What happens is the speaking itself will open doors that would otherwise never have been open to you. So how much you get paid for the speaking per se is, I think it's, it's not the main question. The main question is, what other things can you do to monetize your expertise? Can you do consulting? Maybe you do workshops. Maybe you have a podcast or or a blog or a book or an e-course. Any of this, these are great channels to monetize it. And how much you get for the speech itself, I think that's a, just a secondary question. It's more about you choosing the venues and the events at which you speak because those will be more relevant for you To develop the business I think that's a great
0: point because you can speak to an audience of a thousand people get 500 bucks or negotiate your way to get in there and then speak to a thousand people and you might land a handful of clients that give you a lot more than 500 bucks so it's just good to put that in perspective it's not about chasing the almighty dollar it's about getting comfortable sharing things that you find value in and eventually Those people that find the value might pay for you, or you might be able to get in front of an audience that's willing to pay for you on their own. Now, as we wrap up here, we've got a a minute or so. What is your pitch for getting people to sign up for Speaker Hub? Because that sounds like a great first step for somebody who wants to establish themselves and put out there in the world that you are a public speaker. What is the sign up process? How difficult is it? How much does it cost?
1: Let us know more about Speaker Hub. Yeah, so creating a standard profile is completely free of charge. And that enables you to be out there and be visible and have organizers see your profile and also you to access events that are looking for speakers. So it's the sign-up, I hope to believe, is extremely easy and very straightforward. You can even use your LinkedIn to pull in some of the information you have there. So it should be very easy and a no-brainer. To get there and we don't charge any commission fee whatsoever. So being on speaker hub is a great first step to launch your speaking career. Rad.
0: Well, we're excited to get going so that we can continue to share tips on best practices for public speaking, as well as best practices for getting paid to speak in public. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The World of Speakers. Join us as we get information from experts on how to become the best in world class when it comes to speaking. Our guest today, Andres, it has been a pleasure and we look forward to your involvement as we take over the world with The World of Speakers. Thank you so much, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. All right. And if we want to find you online, where do we do that? How do we get in touch? What's your favorite social media platform to
1: people to follow you on? Just look me up on Speaker Hub on the About Us page. I'm the founder, so you hopefully will be able to find me very quick and easy. You've got all my social media accounts there, videos and contact details. So feel free to reach out anytime. All
0: right. Thank you. And you take care of Europe while we take care of the United States here. We'll all take care of each other and we'll talk to you later, sir. Thank you, Ryan.